So we're going to begin today in a way that's a little bit different than normal. Um, we're going to, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 2. We've been, if you're visiting, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, just kind of chunk by chunk, sometimes verse by verse. And uh, it's been awesome. We've been just, I, so many people have said how, how wonderful. And I'd say all the time, I'm like, well, it's good material. Kind of hard. Like you tell a good joke, you laugh. You can't laugh at the guy telling the joke because he didn't write the joke, baby. You know, this is good material, and uh, it's just awesome. And so we're going to start in a way today that's a little bit different than normal as we're going through Ephesians, and we'll get to the text in a little while. But I want to start by looking at some pictures. And Stephanie picked these out for me. So I want to look at some pictures together. These are pictures of extreme makeovers. And so let's slow down a little bit. So these are people who look one way in the beginning, and they go through weight loss or whatever, and... They look a little different. So let's look at the next one. So we got some people who look a lot different. No glasses, different hair, color. Couldn't, I wouldn't recognize the same person probably. Um, lose some weight, put on a nice dress. Ladies, men like dresses. Looks good. And so uh, what's happening when you go to hair club for men? You know, you, uh, you look a little bit different. I'm getting close to that. It's getting really thin right here. I'm hoping to not look like the before guy. You know, and how about this one? <laughs> I must admit, I didn't anticipate having any pictures of animals, but Stephanie liked that one a lot. And so before and after there, and, you know, it's amazing, and, and well, well, that's enough of the pictures for right now. It's amazing how a person or a dog can look so much different, right? They lose a little weight or a lot of weight. They change their hairstyle or they get some fake hair. Or they get their teeth straightened out. You know, you ever see a person that had no teeth in, they put their teeth in? Look, a totally different person. It's different. They look completely different. One picture to the next. You say, why are you talking about this? Because this is the idea that some people, I would say this, I think most people have about what salvation is all about. Have about an idea about what Christianity is all about. They think it's getting a spiritual makeover. It's getting cleaned up. That's what really happened, right? Those people cleaned up. Um, it's getting, maybe it's losing the weight of some type of behavior that has weighing the person down. It's looking or acting a bit differently than they did before. And this is what they really think of Christianity. It's a better version of the same person. It's just got, it's just an extreme makeover. But the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, in a section we come to today, says it's not at all like that. That's what the world thinks about it. That's what a lot of people in church even think about it. But he says there is a change when a person comes to faith in Jesus, but it's so much more than an extreme makeover. Matter of fact, I'm going to show two pictures. In one minute, we'll put the first one up that says exactly what the makeover is like. So let's put the first picture up. This is what it says you start off like. And I, when I... Asked her to get the pictures for me. I said, Stephanie, I said, I want an old dead guy. <laughs> you did a good job. He's an old dead guy. Um, that's what it says we start off like. And then this is what it says we end up like. A beautiful, brand new baby. Before Christ, death. After Christ, life. That's what Paul is talking about in the text that we're going to take a look at today. The complete transformation that takes place at salvation. And his point is this. And if you just think of it like this, this is what it is in the world today and in your life. 
People do not need improvement. People need resurrection. People don't need improvement. People need a spiritual resurrection. Now take your Bible and let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 together. And you're going to see this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. It, saying. I'm just trying to give you a way to understand it a little easier by, by, putting it, by framing it in a way that makes sense to us. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we're going to read the first five verses of chapter 2, says this, You were dead, old dead guy, in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we, say we, we too, or also, we too, all, say all, so among them, we too, all, formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of our minds, and were by nature, by our nature, how we were born, children of wrath, even as the rest. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Friends, the Bible just talks about the gospel message is good news. That's what gospel means. Can you think of any better news than this? Presenting an idea of Christianity that just says you're supposed to clean yourself up a little bit, make yourself try a little harder, work a little more, people go, that doesn't sound like good news. It sounds like great work. It sounds like effort. It sounds like failure. Because I know I'll try and I'll fail. This is good news. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been, you have been saved. To look at this section of scriptures. In these first three verses, we have the Apostle Paul describing the spiritual condition of every, that's why I had you say all people, every person who has ever been born into this world. It describes baby David. It does. It's not a very pretty picture. Look at how he describes all people in this text. First of all, he says what? He says that all of us are dead in trespass and sin. Physically, people are alive. You can't deny that, and our hearts are beating. Physically, we, people have energy. And physically, people can do amazing things. They can run, and they can jump, and they can build, and they can create, and they can think. Or if you're like my nephew, you can catch a great big brown trout, right? People can do great things. Knowing the Lord, don't know in the Lord. All these great things. Wonderful things. At times, people, all people can do noble things and generous things and kind things. It's all over in the world. And at times, people can do cruel things and hurtful things and awful things. Physically, people are alive, but what he's talking about here is that spiritually, they are dead. Now, have you ever seen some of these newer TV shows that have been out recently and um, shows about zombies you ever seen any of them? Some of you have seen a little bit. The Walking Dead. I've never watched one of them through. I've watched a little bit. You know what I'm talking about though, right? The Walking Dead, they're all walking around like, <clears throat> like zombies. The resurrection of something when I was a little boy, zombies. 
Honestly, I can't understand how anybody watches them. Forgive me if you watch them, but I'm like the dumbest thing in the world. And when I watch, listen to people talk well, honestly about a zombie apocalypse, and they're honestly being truthful. They think, we're, they think we're going to have a zombie apocalypse. I'm just scratching my head and go, anybody home? You know? <laughs> but you know the shows that I'm talking about. I don't particularly like to watch them. But I think they give us a really accurate, great picture of what the true condition of human life is without Jesus. They do live, and they do move, and they do accomplish something. Now, if I understand from the movies, I think what they accomplish is they eat brains. I think that's what they do in the shows. Um, So that's what I've gathered from the little bit I've seen. Um, I might be wrong about that, but they do so. They do do some things. They live, and they move, and they accomplish something, yet they're really dead inside. They're they're really dead. Friends, people without Jesus are spiritually dead. They're dead to the things of God. That's what the Bible says. They're unable, think of it this way in a technological way, they're unable to interface with God. No spiritual connectivity. No spiritual life. Friends, that answers the question that some of you who know Jesus can't seem to figure out when you're trying to tell other people about Jesus. It explains why the things of God, the things you talk to people about, the thinking that you have with those who do come to know Jesus and then have spiritual life, why you can talk with somebody else who's not yet met Jesus, and you talk and, and it makes absolutely no sense to the person you're talking to. It's because they have no spiritual life. And Paul says here that it is due, he says, to their trespasses and sin. Now, we tend to misunderstand this right here. You really need to pay attention because don't misunderstand what he's saying here. He's not saying that me or you doing something sinful sinful killed me spiritually, that I was born with life and then I did something spiritual and I died spiritually. That's not what it says at all. And it's not saying that if I now am, am even walking with Jesus and I, or not walking with Jesus and I do something sinful that I will die spiritually. What he's talking about here is the condition of all mankind because of sin's entrance into our world. It goes all the way back to the garden with Adam and Eve and God and Satan. The story says God made creation for mankind and it was beautiful. It was a place where man would live and thrive and and he had a job to do. Man's one job was to rule as a reflection of God. What's the word we think of when we say man is created how? In the image of God. He was created to be a reflection of God. Image bearers is what it means. In fact, the Hebrew word for image of God is the word that we take our word icon from. And so we were created to be, in essence, little icons. An icon's not the real thing. An icon's a representative of the real thing. You click on your smartphone, an icon. It's a representative of a program. And so we are created to be icons, representatives of God, image bearers. God created this whole thing all beautiful and gave a condition. He said, eat everything and anything you want in the entire garden except stay away from the fruit of this one tree because this one tree's fruit will harm you. It's the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what's the one thing they did? Let's go to the tree. And what it did is that God's not saying you're, you're sinful because you ate fruit. He's saying he's sinful 
because it's revealing something about, what, about what's really going on inside and what they chose to do. Revealing their desire to reject God's authority in their life. He said, do all this but not this. So they choose to disregard God. They choose, chose to listen to the devil. But maybe the greatest thing they did was their refusal to reveal, remember their, their image bearers, reflections, icons, the refusal to reveal the rule of God through themselves. They were supposed to be the image bearers, the icons, revealing the rule of God in this world that God created. And they refused to do that. Instead, what they chose to do is they chose to listen to the adversary, Satan, and follow him and really reveal his rule because they chose his way over God's way. And in essence, they were being ruled by him. They changed allegiances from God to Satan. And they denied, they denied their duty as icons, as representatives of God. So they, the first man and woman, the originators of all human life, chose to reject God. They chose to sin. They chose to follow the adversary instead of God. They chose to change allegiances and to reject everything about God. And friends, ever since that time, so the scriptures say, every descendant, which of you are not a descendant of Adam and Eve? None of you believe you came from monkeys. You didn't. All humanity are descendants of Adam and Eve. Every descendant of Adam and Eve have been born in sin ever since. Because what happens according to the scriptures is we inherited from the first man and woman a sin nature. It's our lineage. It's our inheritance. It's a sin nature. And as God said to Adam and Eve, he said, if you sin you will what? You will die. Therefore, every person has been, has been born dead. Therefore, every person has been physically alive. Little babies squawk and cry when kids are screaming in the middle of the night. There's no doubt they're alive. Right? Physically alive, but spiritually dead. Every person ever since. Mankind's natural condition is to be spiritual zombies. That's our natural condition. That's how we're born. That's what Paul was saying here. Physically alive, but spiritually dead. He has a picture he paints. But you know what? Paul's on, Paul goes on in this text to describe the condition of all people without Jesus. And he, and he says it's not only that bad, it's worse. He says not only are they dead, but they are led. Look what he says in, in verse 2. Not only are they dead, but they're led. Verse 2 in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's it the description of? Satan, that's what scripture says. The prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So that's how you're living. Not only are you dead, but you're led by Satan, he says. Satan is alive and well, and he is actively working in the lives of all people. And he's especially effective in those who do not have the spiritual life within them to discern what's going on because they don't understand his influence. I want you to listen to how Dr. Jack Hayford describes this. I think it's the best description I've ever come across. So I just want to read what he says, two paragraphs. He says, An unregenerate person is under the domination of the adversary. This does not mean that that the unbeliever is possessed by demons nor do they, do they worship Satan, but their whole thought system and pattern of life is motivated, animated, 
and manipulated by God's adversary. People are not free. A master puppeteer, the adversary of the soul, manages them. The puppet strings, however, are invisible, so people assume that they are in control of their own lives. But when they try to get truly free, the strings in the puppeteer's hands restrain them. I think this image that Hayford uses is incredibly helpful. People are like, without Jesus are like puppets being controlled by Satan. Now, he's not manifesting himself. They don't get it. He's the prince of the power of the air. Most don't even know it. But his influence is manipulating them to do his bidding. And that's the picture that the Apostle Paul in all of Scripture paints. Church, this is why we see the world around us going insane. It's why you can't, you can't fix an insane world through rationalization. You can't fix it that way. You can't argue it. You can't convince it. You can't try to build an alliance. It does not work. The world around us is going insane. Wrong is being called right and good is being viewed as bad. It's because Satan is at work behind the scenes manipulating lost people and they don't even know it. He manipulates found people too, but at least they have the ability, if they're, if they're walking Christ, to see it. But without Jesus, you don't even know it. Friends, that's the condition of the living dead, according to the Apostle Paul. And Paul goes on to paint that even bleaker picture than this. I told somebody before church today about the sermon, told Pastor Paul, I said, never do I do this. I'm spending three quarters of the sermon on the bad and the last quarter on the good, so hang on, there's good news coming. Paul goes on to paint an ever bleaker picture. In verse 3, he explains that the unconverted are also enslaved by the lusts and the desires of their flesh. Look at verse 3. Remember, he's saying, all of us, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and in the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So he says, not only is there a puppet master that is manipulating them from behind the scenes, they are also enslaved by the very lusts of their own flesh, their own life. Enslaved by those carnal desires that all of us were born with. We all were pride, greed, sexual perversion, uncontrolled anger, selfishness. Those things that drive people to do the things that will destroy them and destroy others. Satisfy sexual passions at the expense of a healthy marriage. Indulging greed at the cost of depriving people around them. Elevating themselves by stomping down other weaker people. Lives enslaved by lusts of the flesh. Those things that make a person feel out of control and powerless to change. Look at this picture. I can't think of a better picture to paint. Maybe, maybe the old guy dead in the coffin should have been some monster dead in the coffin. I'm not sure. He paints this incredible picture. Dead in sin, led by Satan, enslaved by lust. Not a pretty picture. What a horrible before picture. Remember, this is the before and after. What a horrible before picture. But Paul doesn't stop there. Thank God for verses 4 and 5. I want you to say with me the first two words of verse 4, and I'm going to put them up on the screen here. Say this, but God. Say it again, but 
God. That's the beginning of verse 4. But God, churches. Church, verses 1 through 3 tell the truth. They tell the reality about the human condition. It's ugly and it's hopeless. Except for these two words. But God. Look at verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, transgressions are your sins, your, all your problems, your handicaps of, of not being able to do what's right, when you were dead in, your, in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ or in Christ, by grace you have been saved even though everything is against us. And even though we can do nothing on our own to save ourselves from our dire condition of being dead in sin and led by Satan and enslaved by lust, but God, yet God has reached into our darkness, into our lostness, and he rescues us from our plight because of his rich mercy and great love. He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He makes us alive in Christ. He resurrects us from our life of death. He takes us from being zombies to being alive. He resurrects us from our, of our life of, of death. And he breathes spiritual life into us. Verse 5 says, We were, past tense, dead in our trespasses. And he made us present tense, alive in Christ. Just as Jesus died and rose again, we rise from spiritual death when we are joined with Jesus. And in that moment, the death that ruled becomes replaced by life, not dead in sin anymore, not unknowingly led by Satan anymore, not hopelessly enslaved by lust anymore. Jesus sets us free from death and its chains. He makes, us, makes freedom available to us as we live with him. Friends, what an after picture. Alive in Christ. It's all the work of God. It's all because of his grace. He offers us spiritual life and we receive the free gift that he offers. I'm going to spend more time talking about that next week on how that happens. Today was a lot about the bad news except for but God. Here's the question that we had to think about today. Have you received that free gift that he offers to us, to everyone? Have you come to Jesus and been resurrected or have you just been trying to look a bit better? I just look a little more religious. Try a little harder a nicer version of the original you. The reason that we baptize people is a symbolism. The symbolism says it's why why we take the literal sense of of water baptism that's in the Bible. It tells a person, it takes them, we have a tank that goes right here, and we take the person that's full of water, and we dunk them under the water, because it says you died. You were dead, but now you understand that you're dead, and you die with Jesus. But what happens? Do I hold you under for 20 minutes? Is that what happens? You're resurrected out of the water. You come to new life. And we celebrate your new life in Christ. That's the importance of water baptism. It's not just symbolic. It's got spiritual implications beyond. But it's symbolic of this brand new but God life that happens 
to us. A nicer version of the original? No. Do you want a nicer version? Put a wig and makeup on a zombie. They're still dead and they eat brains. But guess what? God doesn't want to put a wig and makeup on you. He wants to make you brand new from the inside out. And don't believe the lie of the watered-down gospel of America today that says just sprinkle a little Jesus on the top. It's not the gospel of the Bible. I'm telling you, you need a brand new you. I need a brand new me. I'm so glad. When my morning devotions, every day, part of my prayers, thank you, God, that I died. And you might go, that's morbid. No, it's celebration. I thank God every day of the Mark Larson that was born, the spiritual dead guy, he died and had been resurrected to new life, and now I am seated in heavenly places with Christ. I am hidden with Christ in God, and I'm a brand new spirit-filled child of God, all because of what he did in my life, and I deserve none of it. I earned none of it. I deserve none of it, and all I want to do is spend my life telling people how to get it. Friends, it's a new you. It's not just a better version of the old you. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get, get across. And the question we ask is, has you come to God and receive new life from Him? And if you haven't, I just say this, run to Him. Run to Him. You say, how? Come after church right up here and I'll pray with you and you'll receive Christ. Maybe during communion today you really said, God, I want a brand new life. He'll give you a brand new life. But what you don't do is hold on to the old life and say, all I want to do is pretty it up. No, he's going to, guess what? He's going to change some things. It's not appealing to eat brains. He's going to change some things. He's going to take some junk out. He's going to take some, he may take some stuff away because he loves you so much that to distract you from following him. He may change some things. But it's all because he wants to make a brand new you. Because he loves you that much. You know, maybe you've come to Jesus and you are walking in the life he has for you. I just challenge you, give up anything that is keeping you from the abundant life in Christ. You know what those things are. He loves you and he's saying, I want to, get, I want to just clean all the dead junk out of your life. Just give it to him. Advance with him. Hand it over to Jesus and move up, upward in your walk with Christ. That's what he has for you today. It's not about me giving you words of wisdom. It's about you running to Jesus. He's alive and he's real and he's seated, seated at the right hand of the Father and he's praying for you right now. I believe he's going, come on, get it, church. Come on, I've got life for you, church. And you know what? You could have sat in this church for 30 years and never have received the new life that we're talking about right here, but today you could. No one's too far gone. Maybe it's your first time here. You can do that too. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For you. What a horrible picture. Lord, a picture that none of us really wants to ever even have to look at. And for sure, people outside of Christ don't ever want to admit that people are lost, that they're, that they're, that they're led the wrong direction, that they're hopeless. But God, that's the picture you paint, and, and we might not like it, but it's true. Your word has stood the test of time, and God, we have person after person after person in this congregation who, who can stand and say it is true because God changed me completely. So God, we thank you. Thank you for reaching out to us. Thank you for giving yourself to us. God, as we're ending this time together today, I simply ask you, Holy Spirit, as you are speaking into hearts, 
that as you're drawing people, that God, people would say yes to you. If we're in prayer this morning, your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. It's a private moment. The only one looking around is me and Jesus. You say, Pastor Mark, I have not really ever given my life to Christ. Not really. But today, I want to give my life to Jesus. That's you. I want you to do something bold. I will not call you out. I will not embarrass you. But I want to see you to pray with. I want you to raise up your hand. And when I see your hand, I'm going to tell you to put it back down. I'm not going to let you have it up long. Just say, I want to receive Christ today. I want to say yes to Jesus today. I'm not going to belabor the point. Give you a chance. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you that, Lord Jesus, as we walk with you, you love us. You've got this incredible life for us, life abundantly and overflowing, and it all comes from you. And I pray, God, for your church that as we walk with you, God, we would shake loose every weight that would keep us from running with you. And we'd live in the joy of this free life that you've given us. God, help us to run into our lives, running forward into whatever we face this week, recognizing that you are, we're alive in you and that you want to speak through us into a life that, in a world that's dead and breathe life into people's lives. Not because of us, but only because of you. God, could we come back here next Sunday and somebody could say they shared your love about the story of your love with somebody and it changed someone's life. Let it be, God. Church, I just encourage you, before you run off today, if God has spoken to your heart, spend some time in prayer. We have a water baptism service that will start maybe 10 minutes or so. A water baptism meeting. I'll meet you back there then. But if you need prayer, if you want to pray, come and spend some time at the altars. Then when you feel dismissed by God, quietly make your way out of the sanctuary. Have a great day in Jesus. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.